Thanks for downloading the Nightcap Series 2, sponsored by Guzborn. More on them later when we grab ourselves a drink. And for the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can support the pod on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Nightcap, where we are giving away signed menus from Paul's Michelin star restaurant. As well as that, we've got an exclusive opportunity to come and have a meal at Salt before sitting in on a season three recording. That's patreon.com forward slash the Nightcap. And welcome to The Nightcap, life behind the Michelin star, a late night lock-in here where some of the best chefs in the country candidly discuss and debate all things culinary over a few drinks. It's episode seven of series two, the penultimate episode. How's it come to this? I can't believe it. It's to gone be swift, yeah. this one, isn't it? It has. It's um, been good fun. As always, I'm sat upstairs at Salt in Stratford-upon-Avon, Shakespeare's home in the heart of Warwickshire. It's 10 o'clock at night, service is wrapping up downstairs. Let me introduce myself and what we're all doing here. My name's Simon Alexander. I'm a podcaster, producer and daytime cooking show contestant, which by the way is being rerun on BBC Two at the moment. Yeah, I've not watched it yet. I've seen the screenshots. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. Uh, To my left, playing host, Michelin star head chef and owner of Salt, Mr. Paul Foster. How you doing? You're right, yeah. (laughs) And our guest today is a Michelin star head chef of Northcote in Lancashire and a former GBM winner. Come judge, Lisa Allen is with us. How are you doing, Lisa? Hello, really good, yeah. Awesome. Is this your yeah. first time to Salt? It is, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, it's my first time to this part of the country as well, oh, which wow, is amazing. Okay. It's beautiful. How was dinner, firstly? Did you have a good time? Ugh, what can I say? He's absolutely stuffed me up, but the food was <laughs> delicious. Yeah, what were like, so, any standout moments or like, things you go, oh, I'll remember that for a bit? Yeah, I must admit the carrot, which you say is a bit of a signature. Yeah, it's Classic. a smell when it arrives at the tables is, is special. Yeah, it's and comfort food, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, crouton every time. <laughs> yeah. it Such a, a delicate touch, though, but really delicious. Fully enjoyed and thank you. Good. No, awesome. no more pleasure. I did say I oh, would only do a few courses, but you can't resist coming here. We we only did about six, I think, weren't it? So it weren't too much. Oh, only six. <laughs> only six. Only yeah. six. <laughs> <laughs> can't help yourself. Okay, coming up on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about taking the reins, what it's like taking over a restaurant that already has a star and an excellent reputation. We'll be talking about being a judge and being a contestant on Great British Menu. We'll also be talking about cookery schools as Paul begins his new venture here where we're recording. As well as all that, we've got Boiling Point where we tell the real stories of the heat of the kitchen and some cooking hacks and TripAdvisor as well. Uh, But before we get into that, this is a nightcap, so let's grab a glass, shall we? We're delighted to be sponsored by Guzborns for Series 2 of the nightcap. They've kindly sent us a plethora of wine from their world-class estate in Kent, and we're opening a bottle every episode. What have we got tonight, Paul? Um, So we've had the Pinot Noir before, so we've got it again, but this is the 2018. Lovely. So we had the 2016 before. This is, um, yeah, they didn't make a 2017. It wasn't good enough. I think they'd say, saved it for some of their sparkling, the good stuff. Yeah. But it's one of them when... Was it because it was a bad summer of weather? Is that what I'm not sure what exactly. Happens, but but they, they, um, they, they only got a certain amount. I don't know what the, the reasons were, but they basically, when they have enough good stuff, they'll make Pinot Noir as well. If it's not good enough, they won't make it 
and that's yeah it's kind of like our suppliers really it's yeah it's mm. they don't make it for the sake of it it's not like they just have to roll out a vintage it's they're they're more about the sparkling wines and that's what they're known for but sure. i mean they're as you've tasted before the pinot special and you know i love the fact too if it's not good enough they don't do it yeah that's incredible because they're part of, they'll be like oh damn it we've missed out on an opportunity to sell a load of wine here but they'd rather not sell stuff they're not proud of that's pretty cool exactly yeah. what sort of stuff are you food are you selling in this um, so we've got a lamb dish on at the moment with a smoked uh, cod row. We serve that at the moment with that serving the main course because it really works well with the smokiness of cod row and um, it's with just some little piccolo parsnips as well. A really simple dish, but and pinot noir and lamb is classic anyway. So. Yeah, of course. You're making a sommelier of you yet? No, so, I don't know. A little bit more knowledge. I don't think there's any sommeliers from Coventry. Yeah, we're going out <laughs> front. We'll go to the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, excellent. So... Our first topic today is about taking the reins and what it's like taking on a restaurant that already already has a star and a reputation. And I think this was perfect for... Uh, we were discussing the other day, Paul, about what to talk to, to Lisa about tonight. And um, I think that's quite an unusual story and a really daunting prospect. Um, I learnt that you were only 23, 24 when you, t- when you sort of like took the helm. Yeah, absolutely. That must have been such a daunting and exciting period to be that young and taking on a place that already had a Michelin star. What Talk us through that. Absolutely, massive. I mean, not only be young, you uh, you also, well, you're learning every day anyway, and I still learn now, but learning to run a brigade and, you know, be confident, but also driving and striving for, to, to achieve more. Mm. But I think, you know, I was very hungry, very ambitious, and to be fair to um, Nigel and Craig at the time, they really gave me a platform to succeed and kind of the, the um, support behind me, really. How long were you there before it, you took over? You um, about two and a half years. Okay, so yeah. it wasn't that long. It's a good go. Yeah. I mean, I think back to what I was like at 23, 24, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to run <laughs> the brigade like that that you had. And, uh, yeah. But it was very clear from the outside looking in before I knew you, it was very clear that it was becoming yours as well. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, it was under Nigel at the time, but, you know, it was it was like Lisa's food, Lisa's you know, was was running it and then like Lisa at the wheel sort of thing. You know? Yeah, and it, it was amazing really because I always say to people, yeah, I have stayed at Northcote such a long time, but the reason why I stayed there such a long time is the fact that I've always been, there, I've always had the platform to grow mm-hmm. and they've always pushed me and helped me succeed and achieve more as well as Northcote growing at the same time. Um, so basically when I started, it was only a small brigade of like eight people and we had 14 bedrooms kind of like a small restaurant with rooms so to now which is probably 15 16 years on uh, we've got a brigade of um about 26 27 chefs and um, we've expanded the kitchen we've grown the hotel and there's about there's 27 bedrooms excuse me and a a cook school as well so yeah it's it's massive yeah to what we've achieved but we've achieved together as a team yeah sure what was your relationship like with nigel then like would you was he like a mentor? Was there a bit of distance there? Or did he really like take you, take you under his wing and go, right, okay, I think she's going to be the person that takes this yeah, on? Yeah, I think, you know, I always huge respect to him because, you know, he has been my mentor. Yeah, yeah. Still will be, um, as in the fact, you know, that we've, we've grown together for such a long time. I mean, I was there for... Um, and now just kind of stepped away to do his own thing now uh, within the last two years but you know he's still he, he mentored me right up until the till the very end and hopefully we, you know we can take Northcote to somewhere very special yeah. um, and taking over the reins um, even being the head chef but now having kind of the full say and stuff over the menu and stuff and kind of delivering a journey and, and seeing the place grow yeah. is, is quite an achievement for me really 
Um, and I think, you know, that's why people stay there so long. And for me as well, you know, I've always had that opportunity to grow. And that's massive, I think, within our industry because we're such passionate people. Yeah. yeah. Did you think when when it sort of, I mean, like you said, it was sort of people could see it coming. Yeah. But was there like a point where you go, oh, God, this is this is me now. I've got to do this. This is I'm at the head of this. Did you, did you did you ever find it over like that? Seems like such a big pressure to put on it. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's all pretty bonkers. Yeah. And um, if you said to me when I first started out, I think everybody's chef's dreams are, oh, I'm going to stay there for a year and then I'm going to move on. I'm going to do other things. I'm going to fly the world. I'm going to have <laughs> a jet in the middle of the clouds or whatever. You know, you, yeah. you have all these kind of bonkers dreams and stuff. And they're not all bonkers, but at the end of the day, you know, things take you to expectations and then things lead to other things as if you know I never thought that at the age of 23 I would be a head chef because someone instilled their trust in me but also you know I gave it 100% every single day you know and you had those hurdles that kind of you hit all the time but you you either grow or you back down from them yeah. um, because I had the support I kind of grew all the time which was was great for me so you never felt like in a situation where you're like oh, I really want to put this thing on the menu but I've only been doing the job three days maybe it's a bit much for me to be going this 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 or did you just try and sort of no, Slowly. I think I think you just kind of like work together, and you you kind of got you, you you learn you learn to grow, don't you? And, and you always have the confidence in yourself. And sometimes you try things and they don't work, but you you go back and you try again, or you or you sure. change it and tweak it. And I think that's everyday life. Mm, well, yeah. I mean, you you've not been in the same situation, but I imagine I can't imagine someone like Sat Bain's going ill. But I imagine he went on holiday. What would you be? Would people sort of just naturally step up to the plate? Would he turn to someone and say, "You are in charge, and I'm not here"? How would that work? Um, you- well, yeah, in the uh, kitchen when I was there, there was John, the head chef, and me as the sous chef, and it was a small team. But he gave me a lot of free reign. You know, John was doing a lot of the development and a lot of the pastry side when when I was there. So he sort of allowed me to run the kitchen. Um, it was never my kitchen, uh, but he installed that trust into me and I grew massively and you, like Lisa was just saying you grow so much quicker when people put that trust into mm-hmm. you yeah. and we, we would find that you know if sat you know we never went away on holiday never did anything like that because we had the same holidays but if he had I don't know, a commitment he had to do or uh, something to do a television or Great British Menu judging something yeah. like that you know, we'd be like, we'd know about it. We'd raise our game for when he wasn't there. Sure, yeah, really you, you do, and you find you have probably, in some ways, a better service because you're so focused on it. And it's like, Sats trusted us with his baby, so we've got to make sure it. Yeah, fucking you have runs, so much like. respect for them. Yeah, and kind of they've they've grown the people. I mean, look what Paul's doing today. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Sat will be very proud of that. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever like when in those situations and when you first took over? Were there other people? working with you that have maybe been there longer or thought they were next in line and it was a bit awkward being because you know I think that often happens in, in yeah. even in the business world mm-hmm. where people slightly younger than you expect get the job and there's people's noses put and there's egos and that well, did yeah. you ever have like difficult encounters well there's loads of egos in the kitchen isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the same with every industry and I think you just got to go with what you believe in and yeah you get there you get there yeah, yeah exactly yeah. when I when I started so he hired like I think it was like four of us as chef de parties at the same time within about three weeks we all started but we didn't know he was looking for one sous chef from that it might have been none of us if none of us made the grade and then yeah it ended up being me like one got I think one got sacked and one got one did a runner and then (laughs) the other guy left not long afterwards but there was a guy there so it had to be you basically yeah I I didn't get it on credit (laughs) (laughs) but I got it and there was another guy who was really sore because he thought he was his he told me it was his 
but it just didn't it just didn't happen and you know I was younger than some of them as well mm. and you know it doesn't matter about your age or anything it's you know you're doing the job yeah. and when they put the trust in you yeah that's how it mm. and not what I did was I searched out responsibility and that's what I look for people now if I give somebody responsibility it's different to them coming to me and saying I want to take the ordering off you or I want to run this section or I want to look after this or I want to manage all the, the HACCP stuff yeah, yeah. Um, so if they're coming they care a lot more so that's what I did at SAS because I could see John John had been there for years he was he was doing all the ordering, the staff food, writing all the menus, running all the, checking all the sections, doing doing everything. So I saw how busy he was and I was like, I'll take that ordering off him. I'll do some sats prep for him. And then start noticing that you naturally take this responsibility on. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the way to the top. Just really. by if doing, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just take it on. Yeah. Take it on. And then like... That's quite unique you to this know, industry, though, I think. I don't think it's like that in all walks of life, necessarily. I don't know, really. I've only ever done this industry. Yeah, sure. But, but I know that if somebody's just taking it without me asking, I think they've got my back. Yeah. And they're doing it out of... Because they want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can know you can rely on them. When you when you first took over, were there any things that you didn't expect that came your way? Were you like, oh god, I didn't even prepare for that. I didn't even think about that. I think everything when really? you're so young, yeah, everything. yeah, it's just <laughs> overwhelming. Yeah. If you're gonna grow, if you you grow, if you don't, you don't. You know, it was it's kind of you had to fight through, and you had hurdles that you had to jump over and stuff like that. But you realise now, and especially in the position that I'm in now with, with Northcote and stuff, is that. Um, looking back on those and all the hard times and stuff like that now you're in a position where you can help people achieve the same thing that you did and it must be the same for you Paul you know you have people in the kitchen now Mm. that you really want to mentor and bring up and help and and push forward and see them grow because that's a part of it that's how the world goes around isn't it it's trying to make you know help people grow into the positions that they are today did you find yourself doing things or maybe doing mentoring in the same way that Nigel did because you sort of learnt from him in yeah, that regard? Yeah, all different bits, yeah. I mean, you, you automatically pick up your own ways of mentoring and stuff like that, but you always take things from your mentors themselves and, and how they teach and stuff like that. And I think that, again, is is a credit to yourself, but also a credit to the people that you learn off as well. And that's how your journey keeps carrying on because, you know, you've got other people that are you know following your footsteps and growing as sure. you can yeah and you know and helping you see so many chefs out there now that have got kind of proteges that are setting up restaurants or setting up their own restaurants and stuff and i think that you stand back and you say they must be so proud because yeah. there was hard times and difficulties and stuff like that and they think oh, sometimes i might have been a bit hard on you and stuff but what they've grown into yeah they they've mm. been a part of that and they've been a part of your journey and it's the same with nigel and and craig at northcote and even you know other people that I've worked for have always been a part of my journey and made me who I am today so you know it's it's one of those really yeah absolutely when what about when you um you've sort of settled into it and everything and then does something ever throw you off course like uh the first time I've been in charge of Northcote and then a like a review comes out that everyone goes oh god that that fell or there was like a bit you know publication that says something that you do, do did that hit you in a different way when it was your name sort of more above the door? Yeah. Was there a moment like that? that, that I, th- I think it always does. I mean, I think everybody in this industry or in any industry takes um, criticism or some people that doesn't like something to heart mm. because if you care, you do. Of course, yeah. But it's how you can grow from that and how you can better yourself or how you take kind of the positives from someone giving you a negative yeah. and, and helping you grow. And I think sometimes it's... 
because out there all the time I mean it, it's hard to say but always someone will have a bad day don't they mm-hmm. and you, you try and not have those bad days and you try and grow you know so it's it's kind of one of them really what about you did you have like when either you weren't there and something bad happened like Sat wasn't there and something bad happened or there was like a review or something you thought oh god I can't remember Sat. anything specifically from Sat so like TripAdvisor weren't really a thing then <laughs> yeah it wasn't, it wasn't ruining your yeah. life then um, <laughs> but no in terms of review there was nothing ever negative that come back to us I mean there was when I started at Turd I got a national review and we got absolutely caned oh, really? but fortunately nobody of any sense reads the Daily Mail so <laughs> <laughs> I love it um, but it was, was that like, soon into you being there though? yeah I'd been there about two or three months or oh, something oh god so it was like really 27 head chef and you know I was happy with the food we were doing but at the time but I remember it was it's called the, something like the secret reviewer or something so they yeah. don't say their name and so it bit. could be anyone <laughs> yeah. and he started the review it sticks in my mind now because it was the first review I ever had and it was terrible oh no but nobody's ever mentioned it fortunately it starts <laughs> you know I'm going to be trying to find it now yeah you'll find <laughs> it it's out there he's yeah. going to text you tomorrow morning <laughs> yeah. Bing. that's wait. the first thing you're going to wake up to <laughs> not your kids or your wife give me with a daily mail link you can't off. wait yeah <laughs> Um, it was uh, yeah it started with are you ordered nervously straight away I was like what a dickhead like you haven't even tried it and you don't like it so but that did set me back and we had did it yeah because we we were doing something really different in Suffolk at the time and we had some customers phone up and leave us like really horrible voicemails like laughing because of they'd read the review and we hadn't read it and um I was like, what, what's this? What are they talking about? And then was we they found just, it. They and I was rang, like, left a message laughing. Yeah, what and just like, you're shit. And I can't even remember exactly what it was, but I was like, <laughs> who, who does that? Like, who's that sad? The next best restaurant down the road, probably. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. Did you ever have any stuff like that happen to you guys? Where people like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bonkers. Is it? <laughs> it's bonkers. You just can't make sense of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so I think we should talk a bit about GBM. Uh, this has become a bit of a monster, really. I mean, we've talked about it in every episode at some point, I feel. And, I think so, yeah. But that's not yeah. a coincidence. I mean, it's just become such a juggernaut for everyone that's taken part in it through the years that have then become judges. Paul, we've talked about your encounter in 2012 yeah. against Daniel Clifford and Actor Islam. Is that that's right? right, yeah, yeah. Um, but for you, Lisa, you were a contestant and won a course back in 2010, I think I'm right in saying? Yeah, yeah. And then a couple of years ago, you got the opportunity to be a judge in mm-hmm. 2016. Was it really, Was it far more fun and relaxing being a judge and you just getting to taste stuff? Or was it a different sort of pressure having to go and critique these guys that are trying to make a name for themselves on TV? And I think it's... I think it's, it's a different kind of pressure because at the end of the day, you know, you've been there and you've been in their shoes. Um, I think, you know, GBM is a brilliant platform for people to go on the show. Um, you know, it, it's showcasing talent at the time, but also talent that's coming through. Um, and I think that's great recognition for especially our industry. Um, being a judge is quite, it, it's quite humbling, really, because, mm. you know, hopefully the feedback that you're giving is trying to make you know things better and people to deliver the best they can yeah, yeah um obviously you know the pressures and stuff like that within the kitchen take you differently don't they of course because yeah. um, you, you're not in your own environment and um even when you're judging you're not in your own environment so ease of speaking to people is you know is different i, I was going to ask you about the feedback actually because when you watch it and there's that moment where the judge comes out and they're stood there and you've got to go this was good that was good but and then you go into all the things that I, like do you feel 
is it really uncomfortable looking in the eye and telling them or are you really like no 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 you need to know this this is what was wrong with it no it's it, it it's difficult because at the end of the day you're you're um you're a judge so you're giving your critique on what how you think the other judges if you get through to the Friday will receive it so for me it's important you know to be to be fair mm. and that's I think every judge on there is really fair yeah, yeah. and sometimes you know people they cook their hearts out and there's some amazing contestants on that and you've got to really take your hat off to them yeah. um, and unfortunately some people don't get through just because it's look of the day sure. yeah, or yeah. how it goes on the day yeah. um, so you know it doesn't mean to say that if you don't get through and stuff that you're not a great chef because I think everybody is yeah, yeah. In, in their own mind in their own way um, but it's kind of it's look of the day and uh, and how your dish goes really yeah, yeah sure but yeah are you are you watching like behind the scenes when they're like obviously doing their courses taking a, you know it'll take a long time are you in and around looking at what they're up to or do you just yeah. come in at the end and taste it are you tre- tempted to like go oh mate that no I think um, for me you know being a judge is is, is giving um, your support but also your um your, your opinion to help them you know better themselves when they move on forward mm-hmm. um and i think you know in there in the pressures and stuff it's really hard i mean paul and i being a contestant you you kind of um come up with these amazing dishes and stuff and i think half of the pressure comes on yourself because you're so nervous yeah and you're nervous of being in the kitchen and stuff like that um but you know the environment and the courage to go on the show and what the show can do for your platform and stuff like that is, is quite amazing really did yeah you, did is. you have a judge was there a judge at that stage? Yeah, there was. was yeah, it was oh. Glyn Pernell. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it was difficult because... Um, so, I've known Glyn for years. Like, he worked in Simpsons when I was in Kenilworth, like, down the road for me. So, we we were friends for years. I'd yeah. never worked for him, but I'd always gone to him for advice and stuff. Even oh, when okay, I was doing realize. He had a competitions years ago. Oh, that's awkward. Like, young chef competitions. He used to help me with the dishes and stuff. And, oh, like, wow. really approachable, really good guy. And then he's friends with Daniel as well. They go back. They actually competed against each other on GBM as well. And then you've got uh, Akhtar, who was down the road from him, and they mm. were mates. So it was, I think, really difficult for Glenn to, to judge us in that respect because he knew us all well. He wanted us to all do well. Mm. But he had to be, you know, had to be fair. Yeah. And he was, I think, personally. Uh, but I was going to say, did you, ever dis- did you ever say, mate, that wasn't the seven? That was Nate. When we'd had a drink later, did yeah. You- <laughs> <laughs> I was going to help it. Like, come on. <laughs> no, no, I I you find yourself as a mentor being support, I think, as well. Sure. Um, because you, you ultimately you don't go in there and think oh, you know you want there you want people to achieve and you want you want to go in there initially and you want people to kind of produce amazing dishes yeah. because you know they're showcasing themselves the the region that they're at mm. and, and I think that's a massive yeah, bit of exposure for them, the, isn't it on yeah TV? I think that's the huge. greatest thing about the show is is that um, they're actually showcasing the talent that is in Great Britain you know whether mm. it was in season ten or. or or now in the season that's happening now you know it's they're showcasing people the next generation I think with a show like that it can really pull people through did it feel daunting when you first went on it had you had much TV exposure at that point or or did that feel like oh god there's a lot of cameras here oh god this is absolutely you know it was very daunting it (laughs) was was it it was the first kind of show I did really when I went on it Um, and you know for me it was a it was a massive achievement was it stressful though did you find it like a bit yeah and I think I think everybody finds it stressful but I think you put the stress 
because you, you're just wanting to succeed and you want to achieve. I think everybody wants to win, don't they? Whatever yeah. you do. I mean, yeah, of course. If you enter bloody Tiggly-Winks or whatever you... Or a Smash poker it, game, you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to win, don't it. you? So it's like you, you ultimately put that kind of pressure on yourself and stuff. And, and sometimes, you know... Um, you achieve, you hit the brief, sometimes you don't. But it doesn't mean to say that you're not an amazing cook. Yeah, yeah. You know, because everyone the, out there cooks in their own way and they cook with a heart and they cook with a passion. Definitely. I'm glad you mentioned the brief bit because that's always the bit that gets me. I, I love the show. I've, I've watched it for years. And the, the classic couch comment from me is, it looks great, but I just don't think it's hit the brief. Like, <laughs> yeah. I always go on that. Are you like, from the, the producers and directors behind it, are they saying like, they remind you all the time like if it tastes great but remember what the brief are they like trying to make sure that it always leads back to the point of why they're cooking no, I think um, it's it's like I mean for me it's like it, the show is just you know it's it's kind of like they pick briefs every year for mm-hmm. you to hit you know the year I won it um, was all about kind of local produce and your area that you worked in and you know you were cooking for Prince Charles who at the end of the banquet who actually you know he, he champions kind of local regional produce mm. so that kind of gave you an urge as a, an, as a contestant and I think every year everybody goes out there with trying to achieve that now yeah, of, yeah. of really hitting hitting the brief so for, for for us as judges or anybody you know it's really hard because at the end of the day you've got three fabulous contestants and one of them unfortunately is going to go through um, sorry one of them's going to go through but the other two it doesn't mean to say they're not brilliant of course but yeah, yeah. it's the yeah. way it works isn't it no and, it, you know if even if I entered it again next week it must you know I might not get through it it's, it's kind yeah, of yeah you could have amazing things. food but if you're way off the brief you probably wouldn't yeah. get through would you really? as I keep saying from myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it, is you the... got a big sofa again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right up to the screen like that yeah. <laughs> I bet you are <laughs> are you like um, are you is there genuine drive behind um, knowing that you're going to cook for the room of people that includes Prince Charles? Is that like a like at the time you think about oh, that would be an unbelievable opportunity, or is it more about winning? Yeah, I think I think it's just the drive to succeed. I think everybody has it when you enter it. You don't enter it to go. Oh, you know, everybody enters it to go. Oh, I want to succeed. Mm. Um, you know, and, and competing is a massive thing. Course, yeah. you know, um, and, and the pressure that when you're competing, you're not competing in your own kitchen where everything's familiar, you're competing in another kitchen, and um, you know, it, it, it's high pressure for people. But the exposure and the courage to even do it, yeah, the platform yeah. that's been available for people to kind of you know, I think it's pretty amazing, really. Yeah, um, but the show that it's done for people now, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's mega, it's pretty amazing, you know, both yeah. And I would definitely say to people if you get the chance, it's in encouragement to, to to do it yeah. you were saying yours was 2012 and you still get people coming in you yeah only, you only did that one year didn't you and you still yeah, get people coming in the restaurant year. now seven yeah, years still later people mentioning like, the dishes yeah and we don't really do anything like like it anymore yeah, yeah. um you know i remember 2010 watching lisa i just started as a head chef because it come out like spring mm. i started my first ever head chef job about spring so i'd been a head chef about a month I was watching you. It was against Aiden, weren't it? And Johnny Mountain? Yeah, it was. was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching it and thinking, oh, I want to be on that. But it felt a million miles away. <laughs> it's like, I want, to, I want to be on it, but it's never going to happen. Really? Like, just, it wasn't like, right, that's my mission. Um, and then, obviously, we filmed in 2011. 
So it was only like a year and a half yeah, later, yeah, and I had got this on with it. Yeah, moment, yeah. and I was in the kitchen like, oh, "Fuck, I'm here!" Like, what? Like, and then I did start to crap myself. Did you? That's when you start putting the pressure on yourself. What when you arrived like on the set, sort of thing? That yeah, because like, I've, I've, I've watched it since it started in what 2005. Mm-hmm. So I've watched it for six, seven years, and then you're in the room and you're like, "Oh shit, this is where such and such caught." And then there's Daniel. I'm like, "Oh, brilliant! Fuck." <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the people that have grown from the show, though, yeah. um, and started off as kind of a contestant and then going to a judge and then being some, you know, iconic, like, you know, uh, Marcus went through, like Daniel is now, and, yeah. you know, other people starting to be judges and stuff like that. For, for younger people that are encouraged to do it, it's a real kind of, you know, st- stepping platform for them. Yeah, yeah. That must have um, been awesome when you got that call then. What, did you think that when they said... Back in 2016, yeah, like saying, would you be a judge? Yeah, that must have been really flattering. Yeah, it was, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and one thing you'll never forget yeah, yeah. Uh, in your life. And, and I think for me, you know, the Great British Menu gave me an amazing platform. Would you be a judge if they asked you? I, I never made it to the final. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never getting a judge. Yeah, well, I would if they asked, but they ain't going to ask. Yeah. I can imagine you, I think you'd revel in the feedback bit. Yeah. I think yeah, you I would, would love the feedback <laughs> bit. I can just imagine you being like, Seven and just like beaming about it. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I don't know. I'm not that mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to move on to talking about cookery schools. Um, and uh, th- yeah, this is something that I feel like I've been on the journey with you a bit here because we it was this time last year we we decided to do, do a podcast. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then series one develops. Now we're in season two, obviously. But it's always been in this room. But the difference in this room is oh, crazy yeah. from yeah. where it was even a few months ago. I was always embarrassed what bringing guests up here. Was it just a small here? wooden oh, table with dingy. a few chairs around it? Oh, yeah, if that. <laughs> it was like student digs. It was like horrible. It was, yeah. gr- green sofa that two yeah mingin leather sofas. <laughs> Um, this wooden floor was just just black for years of people walking on it and then we had a little table in the corner yeah. where we did the podcast a random <laughs> picture on the wall of some stones pebbles yeah <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah it was just you know paint plaster chipping people off people walk up and think what are we doing a, you are a little bit and <laughs> Simon Holster came up and is that a casting couch <laughs> yeah <laughs> so bad. it was bad and I would always be like this is just temporary um <laughs> You know, we are building a cookery school and I'd get the plans out. Like, look, look, it's not going to stay like this. <laughs> I could almost... probably tell everyone that the room looks really amazing now and the couch <laughs> yeah. is gone and it's a beautiful table. <laughs> yeah, that really actually is. looks like a cookery school, too. Yeah, well, yeah. hopefully. That's no, point, we're, right? we're really proud of it. It's not open yet, obviously, but um, I was uh, I was telling Lisa earlier when I showed around, I was inspired by the one at Northcote. Uh, yeah, so I didn't know this until you mentioned it literally the other day. So what, had you been up there? Yeah, so I went... Just before we opened here, I went up to eat at Obsession, um, which is what Northcote do every January. And um, I ate in the chef's table, which is also the cookery school, like private dining, and like beautiful room, like the kitchen's stunning. You've got like a glass wall and door. And then I was in there and I was like, this space is small, but they've done a cookery school. And I thought more about it. Obviously, this property was going through at the moment and I knew we had all this space upstairs. I didn't know fully what to do with it because mm. I knew it's too far away from the kitchen and restaurant to be a private dining room. It would have had no atmosphere. Yeah. And I just thought, well, this is the same size. Why couldn't we do it? Obviously, I had no money at the time. Yeah, of course. So it was always my plan, How inspired we... by that. Yeah. And then, you know, it's a, I just 
I've only seen it once, but I'm sure it's a similar size room, isn't it, to what, mm. what yours is. Yeah. If they can create that out of that space, a multi-purpose room, mm-hmm. then, you know, we could do something something similar that's intimate. Yeah, definitely. I love it. It's so cool. And it's as much room as you need for, what is it, eight or ten people? It'd be time? eight people maximum for the school, and then we'll do ten, probably max. Well, I've only got ten chairs, so, yeah, ten max for private Ten money. chairs, unless you want to sit on the floor. Yeah. Or you might bring the couch back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring that couch back. Money for that. Yeah, Simon's got it, I think. Yeah, he'll <laughs> well, be on eBay in those couple of days. Was uh, was the cuckoo school always part of Northcote's plan for for a long time, or, or was that something that you went? I really want want to do. No, this? I think I think it was part of the plan. Um, you know, like I said, the kitchen was much smaller until it would be seven years this December where it expanded. Um, so it was it was quite small, and um, then it expanded like four times. So, oh, really? Yeah, it's really big. Yeah, so it's, it's 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 big. Um, you know, it's got its own prep rooms. It's got the central kitchen, and it also has the kitchen table, um, which basically is a cook skill. It does eight people, um, runs four days a week, different bespoke classes, um, but then also turns into kind of a kitchen table that we have as well, that oh, okay. people can come and eat and watch us cook in the kitchen and stuff, which is really quite oh, versatile. People love the theatre that as yeah. well. Being able to see it. Are you going to do a similar thing where it'll be like? bespoke courses and then a private dining room thing or not really yeah so again as just a private dining room it would have been soulless so the fact that it's a cookery school and we can cook in front of the guests just is going to give it some theatre some interest and something something exciting so we can have 10 people around the table we probably won't cook on the central island because we'll probably burn people so we'll cook (laughs) on the sides in front of them and you know get that whole theatre involved and um, yeah and it just it means I could grow the business without really affecting what we're doing downstairs. The restaurant can run 10 tables as it does. Yeah, that's the weird thing. No real extra pressure on the kitchen, apart from a bit more prep. But service-wise, it'll be, I'll come up here and do it, or sous chef will come and do it, or the guy who's running the cookery school will do it. Mm. So it's not like, damn, there's an extra 10 covers on the yeah. restaurant. Because yeah, when you said that initially, and you told us, I was like, oh, wow, so how's that going to work? But it is almost like a separate business in a way. Because in it could a sense, be self, It yeah. could be self-sufficient in its own right. Yeah. And you've yeah. got someone coming in to do it, full time yeah I got a guy who used to work for me at Mallory Court come in to run it yeah awesome but he's never done a cookery school before and neither have I so yeah <laughs> what could wish go us wrong? luck <laughs> the dream team <laughs> do you yeah, go cooking yours much for yeah, people yeah we cook like yeah. we do like kind of both um, bespoke events or um, I'll do something once quarterly and do a couple of days and stuff like that and we have guest chefs that come and cook in the in the school as well and we, we also um, do like different courses Mm-hmm. Um, reflects from kind of basic to intermediate and stuff like that. It's really good, you know. We have some very loyal customers, and they've been back tons of times. Really, yeah, That's tons cool. of times. Do you focus on one thing, like it's just about bread this time, or just about fish, or how? How do you? Build no, it's a, you'll have different courses every day. Oh, okay. So we'll have kind of a bread course, but we'll do bread from a basic to an intermediate because you'll find that a lot of customers will come on their basic, and then they'll go. Oh, they want to learn more about it, so we'll do mm-hmm. kind of intermediate Take courses <laughs> uh, we do like dinner party secrets Northcote at home where the you know we kind of change the dishes so they can achieve them at home and, and different stuff like that which is really good because people want to learn that they want to know how to do things or it might be something that's kind of you do in your kitchen that they think they can't do at home but they can do and, yeah. and they love that kind of stuff and we have a lot of kind of loyal customers that come back to us do, do you enjoy doing it in front of, like cooking in front of Paying customers, yeah, yeah, I really enjoy it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I see it as everything you do that's different. You're always learning, Mm -hmm. and you're always adding something to kind of like your your repertoire, and you're becoming 
better for it and stuff like that. Um, but I quite enjoy it, like passing on knowledge and stuff like that to people. Yeah. And, and also when you go out and you see things, it's like eating when you go out to restaurants and you eat. Or you go out and you go to a, uh, a cookery course or you read a cookbook and stuff like that. You, you're kind of divulging information and stuff like that and learning new mm. techniques and stuff of how you can put your style on it and, and stuff like that, really. Mm. Would you, yeah. what are the, are they like, while we're here, is there yeah. anything you would need to like, just get some information from? Yeah. Lisa, <laughs> like, oh, why are you here? Can you, how do I He's do already pinched me cook school. What was he on? Well, I was honest about it. I was inspired by it. Inspired yeah. by it. Didn't you copy? How, that's how what to makes use the a, world go around. How to use a space well. Um, well, no, Lisa was giving, we went out for a beer last night and she was giving me loads of advice on, on it, really. And uh, it's one of those things, there's so much you can do with it. And there's like so much they do and do well. It's like we've really got to rein it in at the start because you don't want to go crazy with ideas and just lose it. So we're just going to structure a few simple courses to start. Um, work off then learn the logistics the timings how this room works our customer base and then build other courses from mm-hmm. that and build them when it suit us we're never going to look at a different cookery school and say oh they do that course and that course let's do that mm-hmm. it's just got to work for us really yeah, yeah. And just let it go organically fit our brand mm-hmm. with downstairs you'll find your own way and your own feet and stuff like that and I think the brilliant thing about cookery school and going out to other people um, in the house home or, or wherever is the fact that you know food's brilliant and they're mm. learning new techniques mm. and they can pick up one thing from you yeah, yeah. and they can take it home and they can share it with the families and stuff like that it's really it's quite, quite yeah, it's mixed, valuable yeah. isn't it yeah. absolutely yeah I'm sensing it might Special. be too early for me to suggest because I had a suggestion okay which was going to be an, a nightcap course okay which is where me and we do you're going to take the course. Paul will be with me. I'll just, <laughs> yeah. just like serve it. You know? <laughs> cocktails. He's backing down now. Isn't he? oh, yeah. He's backing cocktails. down now. <laughs> late night cocktails that have Gusborns involved, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and then like late, like light bites or like nibbles, like sharers of an evening and stuff yeah. you can do with leftovers. Oh, okay, that sounds good. That is yeah. on a nightcap. That yeah. that would it's work. Got legs in it. I can't see that failing. To be honest, so <laughs> just I'll throw that in the ring now. Yeah. Um, before we move on to our features, boiling point, and TripAdvisor reviews, um, I wanted to quickly ask you about uh, Snackmasters. Oh yeah. Before watched, I watched that last week. Uh, I think it's a brilliant concept for a show. I don't know how it's not been done before because it's yeah. so simple, and the best ideas are always the simplest. And it's just getting great chefs to try and replicate a British classic snack, yeah. and it's like. What was your, I've not watched your one yet. What was it? The I did a Whopper do? burger. Oh, was it a Whopper? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it was. You know, it was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, due to the fact, you know, as a, as a chef, you're always trying to um, put your own stamp on things, or you'll you'll find something. You're always trying to make it better and stuff like that. And, and within this case, you got kind of a snack delivered, and you had to replicate it exactly the same. Yeah. And actually, when you divulge into things and you actually try and work out how they did it, um, for us it was called, because obviously it's mass-produced. Yeah. So and you're not mass-producing it, you're yeah, doing yeah. kind of like, I had to do seven burgers. <laughs> in, <laughs> so, real, in fast food time. Yeah, it was, it was bonkers, yeah. So right, right oh, towards okay. the end, they said, right, re- recreate. And, and you were going up against Claude Bosi, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no pressure then. Yeah, <laughs> and they were in a genuine Burger King kitchen, and they went, right, and the timer starts now. So it was like that. Could you have any mise en place done? Like, or... No, you had to kind of, you, you had your buns and you, you could have them cooked. Um, you had all your garnishes and stuff, but you had to like see your buns, you had to, cook your burgers and, yeah. and stuff like that so you had to do it as if you were yeah. kind of someone had gone 
three burgers away, please. Yeah. <laughs> In this case, right, it went yeah. seven burgers away, please. Did you find it frustrating to try and recreate something that you did? You, do you like? Do you like eating? Would you ever go and eat? Well, it was really one? funny because like you might find this really strange, but like Burger King, I don't think I've ever had one. You know, I don't really <laughs> yeah, eat burgers really. or McDonald's okay. or stuff. So when you got it delivered, you were like, "What's that?" Wow. But actually, when you eat it, you're just like. Okay, so how do we replicate this? And and then we, you know, we we worked hard and stuff like that. And it was for me, it was, I found it really interesting to actually look at how you think mm. they're produced. And when you watch it on the telly in the factory, it's like sometimes oh, it's you're crazy. looking, smacking your head. I'm like, God, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, because mm. you start off with like even with the bun, it's like um, a basic recipe, but you you started out trying to break down where I started was like a milk milk roll yeah um, and thinking oh well that's kind of the same texture um so then we'll work back from there so it took like I would say four or five attempts to to get it right <laughs> but it's it's not just the the taste of it and the yeah. texture it's the sizing everything is exactly the same yeah so it was it was a challenge but it was a good challenge oh yeah. <laughs> it's great and I'll tell you what yeah. uh, you know at the end of the day when you challenge yourself on something like that it's <laughs> kind of like well in anything you, you can be challenge yourself a challenge every day don't you yeah but that's so totally out of your comfort zone isn't it yeah, yeah. Like, yeah especially yeah, when you've got no information you just got to taste it and replicate it yeah yeah, yeah. But, but I thought it was a really how, interesting could, show. I mean, I could see how every chef, including you, got really obsessed by trying to figure it out. Yeah, like, and it was it was just I think funny. Everybody just did. Like in the background, they're often doing this in the kitchen. So you're off at Northcote, and there's like Michelin star food going out, and there's you going, "How do I get this gherkin on this whopper to make it taste like?" <laughs> it's, it's just the weirdest thing. It's, it's so the same good. with like Daniel with the Kit Kat. Oh yeah, Daniel with yeah. the Kit Kat. You know, um, <laughs> Was it Matt Walswick and Tristan Welsh? They did um, Monster Munch. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. That must you know, be. Yeah, and it's, it's all yet, really but. interesting because as a customer, when you're eating something like that, day in and day out, you eat it, you say, oh, this is like, it's a snack. You know, mm. you obviously like it because you're eating yeah. it. Oh, yeah, you know, have a, have a break of a Kit Kat. But you never think, like, how is it going to be made, you know? Oh. And even when you watch the show and when Daniel did it, and Vivek did it because they were up against each other. So much work that they put into working out, actually. <laughs> money. And they, yeah. How and much then, money but, did they both spend on equipment? But when you see it, and actually yeah. when they turn around and said, like, broken up Kit Kats goes into it, it's like... Yeah, that was like yeah, the secret what? bit. They, yeah. So Kit Kats so are made up like, of broken up Kit Kats. How did they make mm. the first one then if there was no broken up? Well, I think that's still the question that's out there now. <laughs> I think they're asking the moon, but the nothing's egg, coming back. But, oh, yeah. Um, the money they spent on like Daniel <laughs> no Clifford. Way. He just got down. He was down the rabbit hole and he was gone. Was he? Yeah. He was I just, can imagine with Daniel. Yeah. Honestly, he, just went, he was like, yeah, I have spent one and a half grand on this a stencil, but you know, it's all going to be worth it in the end. But he's just try, convincing himself constantly that it's all worth it. And it yeah, is I think just it, was, so it was really, it was a, it's quite amazing to watch, really, because. Like, like I said before, you know, as a creator and as a chef, you're always trying to put your own stamp on things mm. and actually trying to work out how people mass produce or produce something that is a household favourite mm. or a tasty food that people like to eat, you know, is, is really difficult. Yeah. So when you oh, look at so snacks, you, I kind of look at them in a different way sometimes and I think, hmm, how's that going to be made? <laughs> yeah, how much development's going <laughs> yeah. to be <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we won't tell you one, but yeah, it's Lisa versus Claude Bosi. And uh, I think you, you both succeed and also stumble in different ways. Mm. And it's fascinating watching the approaches. And obviously, you can imagine Claude Bosi's confidence. <laughs> oh, my word. It no, was he was brilliant. He was brilliant with Claude. Yeah. Okay, right. We're going to move on to TripAdvisor Reviews, one of our favourite features here. It's a very simple game. 
I'm going to give both of our chefs a, tr- a real TripAdvisor review, but they have to decide whether it's one of their restaurants or someone else's. Paul, do you want to go first? Or yeah, something? go on then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Wait a minute, first is in, I never know what I mean by that, really. No, do I don't either. First is I'll in. I'll just say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you want, me, do you want to guess first? I'll guess first, guess yeah. first. Okay, so I'm going to read a TripAdvisor review. Okay. Paul's got to guess whether it's of Northcutt or somewhere else. Right, okay. Okay, so that's it, Paul. Okay, I'm not going to lie, it's not great. It's a one-star review. Lovely Whopper, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no talk. I hope to think I've got better than one star on a Whopper. <laughs> yeah. Very disappointing experience. That's the title. It was very busy and very noisy, and the tables were inadequately sized. Have you got inadequately sized tables, Lisa? <laughs> the gardener was also power-washing the patio directly outside the window. The service was poor at best, and so was the food. I will not be returning. Was that Northcote or somewhere else? No, I don't imagine that's Northcote. Do you have a gardener? We do. Yeah. Um, No, I don't know. I don't imagine it is. I imagine you've got adequately sized tables. Weird. Very, I've never heard that in a review. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, it? How big are they? Oh, what are they expecting? What's coming yeah. out? What do you reckon? Do you reckon that was one of yours or not? I hope not. I'm afraid that was one of yours. Was it? Yeah, power washing the patio. Do you know, apparently. Mm. Do you know, at least they're cleaning it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Do you te- is TripAdvisor something that comes into the kitchen much? Do people go, oh, we've had a good one, we've had a bad one? Do people care about it or... I think everybody cares about it, don't they? Do you? Yeah, more than I mean, you should. Yeah. I think, <laughs> oh, this guy. He doesn't want to, but he does. Yeah. He cares. I never used to until I owned a place. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find yourself reading reviews much? Do you, do you like jump on there to see what people are saying, or do you well, just? Leave I think it? you know. I think every day when you're cooking food, you know, you you don't set out. You you set out to do your best, don't you? Mm. And please everyone. So to kind of come back with in a positive way or take that on as a how you can fix things or move forward that, that's the main thing really yeah, yeah. within you know <laughs> silent power washers yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay your turn you've got to guess whether this is a review of salt or somewhere else right okay here we go it's another one star this is the worst value for money experience I have ever had we left very disappointed and very hungry don't get bamboozled by the concept good use of the word bamboozled the owner's very irritating. <laughs> That's me. Money better spent at Sat Baines's. I think it's the worst meal that I have ever been presented with in a restaurant of this standard, or anywhere, come to think of it. If you are in and around this area, avoid this place. Was that salt or somewhere else? That's pretty cutting, isn't it? Cutting, mate. Yeah, well, yeah, I think it's probably pretty... somewhere else, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I don't recognise it. <laughs> You're too all over it, you know, <laughs> don't you? It was somewhere else. Oh. Oh. I always want to know oh. where. Oh. Right, sorry? I always want to know where. I, I'll tell you where. Yeah. That was the fat duck. Was it? Yeah. Can you even begin? What yeah. planet are they even on? Yeah. Well done, though, Lisa. You got that one right. Okay, let's move on to boiling point. This is my favourite feature that we do. Uh, this is where the, our chefs tell the real heat of the kitchen. When have you lost your shit on someone, or when have they lost it on you? Paul's let himself down so many times, but the stories, <laughs> <laughs> the stories are so wonderful. Uh, do you want to kick things off for us? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Yeah, go on. Yeah, then. Um, yeah. I was um, 
Was it, this was just when I'd started at, at Tottenham Mill. I inherited a sous chef who wasn't anywhere near up to standard. And we had an issue because he was a lot older than me. I was 27. He was like mid-30s. He hated that fact. And I think he wanted the job. Um, so he was a, very much a stumbling block. And then I had a junior sous who was, who was great. And then he was kind of, if I wasn't there, he was my sous. I relied on him more. Um, and he's actually now running the company. Um, he's, he's done really well for himself. Okay. Yeah, a great, a great guy. Yeah. And um, yeah, so w- when we went, we had like a month of like running their menu until I integrated mine and then we changed my menu. We, you know, we didn't have any staff and it was you know, very new sort of stuff we were doing for, for Suffolk. And um, for the guys in the kitchen as well, it was all, all, all totally new to them. And I'd worked, I think, three weeks solidly because I, I just didn't have enough support within the team just to get... You know, the processes, the systems in place for the menu and everything we were doing. And then I took like my first day off this Sunday. Um, it was quiet. We'd stopped the book, so it wasn't too crazy for them. And the junior Sue and the, the Sue, we'll call him a Sue. <laughs> That's okay. what he was paid for. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're in. And then I think like a, a commie and a chef's party or something. So like, well covered, loads of staff, not that, not that busy. Fairly well prepped as well. And um, so I took the Sunday off and then... I asked the sous chef to keep in touch with me what was going on. Like not, not a not a Pete, but I had the um, the junior sous constantly phoning me, messaging me, telling me everything, oh, everything God. the restaurant staff were doing. I, I was actually, I needed to know at that sure, stage. I suppose, you know, I'm not yeah. that obsessive now, <laughs> but I was at the time because oh, okay. you know yeah. I'd uprooted my life and moved over there, and yeah, it was important. And then um, yeah, this. He uh, he phoned me. I'd been been to the cinema with my wife and just like had a normal night and. Um, he phoned me, it was about 10 o'clock, and he's like, oh, you, you'll never guess what such and such has done. He's like, he said, because we used to do cheese with Garibaldi biscuits. They're just nice homemade Garibaldi biscuits. Really simple to make, but lovely. And um, he's like, yeah, he just couldn't be bothered to make them, so he just didn't serve them with it. And I was, I was just there boiling, just sat at home. I said, what do you mean he couldn't? He's like, he said he didn't have time. Because he sent the cheese, he saw the cheese go, oh, God. and he sent the cheese back, saying, oh, you haven't put the Garibaldi's like, I haven't made them. Just um, oh, so I'm God. sending them without them tonight. So like my first night off, and it's just not bothering with a part of the menu. Like, so people just had cheese. I was like, nothing with it. <laughs> Some chutney, madness. no bread, no fucking biscuits. At least a nothing. big whopper bun that would go. Yeah, you know, yeah, at least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, I couldn't sleep. I was just uh, angry. <laughs> like, sleep. I was because I was boiling. I, I obviously cared a lot at the time. Of course, yeah. And it was just so I said to him like you haven't been busy he said well he had a four hour split shift today he didn't have time to make Garibaldi biscuits <laughs> <laughs> so um, I calmed down overnight I spoke to spoke to my wife and she calmed me down she said just go in have a chat with him and tell him it's not not the standard that was my plan until I saw it <laughs> oh, and I've, I've never lost like my shit like that before really? yeah yeah and I wasn't really proud of what what I did or what I said I can't really remember everything I said and did because it was just a blur yeah, I called him all sorts of names and went went crazy. It was pretty horrible. Was Not in front of everyone. I just mate. straight away I saw him. I was like upstairs in the terrace room. Now, took him up there and just just unleashed. And I said, "Look, I expect your notice as soon as possible." Um, wow! And it took another four months to get his notice. And when he gave me his notice, I said, "Thank you." Like, oh yeah, my god, was, mate, was that is brutal. Yeah, d- yeah. It was, what was he like when you were bar- like berating him? Was he just taking just it, smiling at me, which wound me up more? So I kept going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just this little smirk. But, oh no, yeah. he knew. Unfortunately, I had, <laughs> yeah. I had this junior Sue who was he was 
he had my back. Like, like I was saying earlier, he was searching out these responsibilities. He was like, he could have let that slide and been like, well, he's in charge, not me. Sure. But he was like taking upon himself, you know, to show me that I know when I wasn't there that he had my back over something as little as Garibaldi's. Sure. Know? Yeah, so yeah, it seemed I like just... a big deal at the time, though. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it it wasn't about the biscuits; it was about the fact that he chose not to do them and just couldn't be bothered. Oh, that That's attitude, just a mark yeah. of disrespect, really, isn't it? Like he had a four-hour split, and went home and watched the F one. Is, <laughs> is that the worst you've ever gone at someone? Do you no, think? no, really, no. Save it but it's probably up there. But yeah, I can't. When it's <laughs> saving like, it until the next. Day. I can't yeah. remember what I said at all. Yeah. Really, yeah. red Mister sends. Doesn't yeah. it? that is incredible. Okay, Lisa. Got any stories for us? Oh, uh, there's lots of things. Well, there's sometimes you know things don't go to plan. And I remember one time it was like years and years and years ago that um, you know when you're short staffed and stuff, you have some agency staff and stuff. And um, I remember doing kind of um, we were doing a function, so we were a closed function at the time, and we had a tartar tan on, so we we kind of did all the tartar tans, and they put them in the oven. So oh, he put me in the oven in ten minutes. And they put them in a little bit, a little bit before. So when you come to the tartar tans, like they're not good. Oh, God. They were kind of like not servable. Yeah. So at this point, you're like ragging your hair out. You've got what fifty covers out there. What are you gonna do? Blah blah blah. So we ended up having to come up with something different. Oh, but <laughs> things like that put you in situations. Oh, for geez. me, I just walked out the door and said, "Please don't come near me." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, did you, so you didn't like berate them you just like you just know don't... and I just walk away because I think like Paul said it just makes you more angry <laughs> but um, you know mistakes happen and stuff like that but you know there's lots of things and hurdles in your way when sometimes when you're, you're in a kitchen and pressures and stuff like that when people just don't listen Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah I remember that time where yeah it was uh, it was quite oh my god but, yeah, what, what like did you years come up with off the cuff of 50 covers like to replace the time. Oh, it's bonkers. Well, obviously, well, not obviously, but unfortunately, fortunately, the the next day, obviously, we had lunch and stuff, so we we did that. So basically, we we did like a souffle with an ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And explain <laughs> to the customers, but yeah, that was kind of the one of the most the mm. the, the biggest things really. Jeez. But, did yeah. you did you ever get like um, did someone ever come down on you really hard at the beginning of your career and it sort of stayed with you like a time where you maybe fuck something up or something goes wrong and, and, so, and you no, just I like think, it stays with you and you're I mean, like right okay you'll always get sometimes get situations you know where the, it gets heated and stuff like that but kind of the saying is <laughs> what doesn't kill you makes you stronger doesn't it so sure. you just kind of carry on pick up and go yeah uh, you'll have times in a kitchen where it does get heated and stuff like that and especially you know back in the times and stuff but you know, I think now very much everybody's kind of changing in that role now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I think it, it, even embracing in the hours and stuff like that, where there's, you know, now I think a lot of people are adopting the four days a week yeah. within the kitchen, but we can't we can't do that because we're a seven-day-a-week operation. Mm-hmm. So we look at the, the working hours of a day um, and how we can kind of give them an early shift the day before the day's off and a, and a late shift after. But I think kind of that's all really moving on now within mm. the industry. And I think yeah, we, yeah. we were talking about that yesterday, weren't we, about how you're going to try and take on the concept to energise your staff to grow and kind yeah. of... Um, and you, you get know, more out of them when they're, when they're energetic and when they're here. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's amazing that shift, though. It seems to have happened quite quickly because a few chefs have talked about that on here, about how that work-life balance has come back... Yeah. sorry it's come into the industry 
as a it's really kind of catching up with thing. the rest, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Massive, it's behind the rest of the industries. Yeah, yeah, everybody needs to now embrace it mm. to help the amazing industry grow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's always going to be hard. It's always going to be challenging. And the hours a bit longer than an, an office job or something like that. But, you know, it, yeah, it is changing and for the better, really. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Okay, beautiful. Lastly, then, before we wrap some things up, time to move on to home cooking myths and hacks. Yeah, we've had some great ones so far this series. Uh, we've had a few people actually message us on social uh, media from Daniel's. Daniel's yeah. has gone crazy. Daniel's has gone crazy. The bolognese. So Daniel told us a story about how he met an Italian chef when he was in Colombia, was it, or somewhere? Yeah, he was on a coffee trip in Colombia. Yeah, and um, he basically said uh, how we do bolognese perfectly is blanch the spaghetti for five minutes in boiling salted boiling water and then put the pasta in with the bolognese. Well, I think it was even less, wasn't it? Was it, was it? it was a quick blanche and then cook oh, it sorry, in yeah, the pasta. Yeah. And then just cook it in the yeah. pasta and let that soak up the... Right. And yeah. everyone, we've had people messaging us with pictures of it, yeah. going, this is the best spaghetti bolognese I've ever had. Like, yeah, Daniel said he got off the plane, went to Tesco's, bought all the stuff, did it? made it because you just had to try it. It was like, like just, yeah, quick blanche, then cooked it in it and he said it all thickened up the, you know, the... the Pasta absorbed all the ragu. So it's oh, like best he's ever had. Genius. Yeah, wow, I love that tip. Yeah, it just makes sense though, doesn't it? Yeah, you got yeah. anything for us, Paul? Well, a bit of a myth, really. Go on. Um, I love the myths as much, to be honest. Yeah, so I, this is something I've always kind of known, but I did a bit of research on it the other day. So I, I made some notes because I found it quite oh, interesting. I love it. You brought a little sheet of paper. I know. Actually, yeah. for once, I've come with some notes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> First bit of prep for the podcast you've ever done. Love it. So... Like over the past few years, like with health, food, and everyone, everything, you're always told that like raw veg is healthier, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's not the case. Sometimes it is, but quite often, cooked veg is much healthier. Is it? Yeah, yeah. So I, I looked into it. Yes, they. A lot of veg loses nutrients when you cook it, but you absorb more when it's been cooked. So tomatoes much healthier when they're cooked than when they're raw. No way. Yeah, that so is like, interesting. What, was what about so, like broccoli and kale and stuff? Because so I often... Broccoli with meals, raw better. Good. Great. I yeah. do that a lot. So things like anything with beta carotene in, you'll you'll consume more beta carotene raw, but when it's cooked, you'll absorb more. Okay. What, yeah, what so typical? like raw, cooked carrots are better than raw. Oh, really? Yeah. I have no idea. As long as they're not deep fried. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It depends how you cook them. Yeah. Guess what he's been doing today, <laughs> bookworm. <laughs> That is so, amazing. Um, asparagus better nutritionally better cook them raw. Yeah, it increases the um, can't look, look really intelligent. No, no I didn't do. Know, I don't, I don't know. He's got glasses on as well. Yeah. <laughs> He's got glasses on. <laughs> increases its cancer fighting potential when cooked. Beetroot better raw. It loses twenty five percent of its qualities when Beetroot cooked. Better raw. Who's spinach better raw? cooked. Yeah, much better. Oh, see, I assume spinach be way better for you because when it I wilt, it'd be better. Raw. When it wilts down to yeah, I thought it'd be way better raw. Sorry, yeah, and it wilts down to nothing. So you assume in your head, oh, it's lost, lost everything that's good about moisture, it. Yeah, but no, you absorb more calcium, iron, magnesium when it's cooked. Tomatoes cooked, uh, mushrooms much healthier cooked. Really? Um, so it brings out more muscle building, potassium, broccoli much better raw. Um, oh, do you so, know what we, we need to do for the social accounts is do a diagram of cooked, uncooked, which yeah. is, and then put them in categories. Ah, oh, there's okay. the su- a job for me. The satisfaction <laughs> of this. Yeah, that's your homework. For the <laughs> but oh, no, wow. I just kind of kept making more notes. So I did find it interesting because you assume because yeah, what vegans tell us is everything's better raw, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? But it's, it's not. It's not the case. Sometimes like, raw, sometimes cooked. Diet so. plans and, and like muscle building plans and stuff. They always say to you. 
you know, make sure you have this raw, it's better for you this way and that way. Mm. Like, I always mm. assumed that it was better for you. Yeah, because the common misconception is, well, it's not a misconception, there's more nutrients when it's raw. Mm. But like you say, you don't, like nutritionists say, it's not what you consume, it's what you absorb. And you absorb better when it's cooked because, you know, we need to cook food to digest it. Love that, mate. You've outdone yourself. I know, it's probably, one. yeah, most information I've ever given yeah, on a, yeah. a stack or a, a oh, thank you. <laughs> so proud. No red tick or red cross. <laughs> you see, there's any myths or hacks that can help people listening in their kitchens at home? I don't know, really. I mean, uh, if I had to think of one that I always hold with me is um, when you're making a meringue and you're always taught when you were younger, Mm. is to kind of whip the egg whites halfway and then add the sugar really slowly because otherwise you get the volume decreases yeah. within your egg whites and then um, a good friend of mine came along and said no 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 it's not the case you know you add half the sugar before when the egg whites just normal um, into a bowl and then you whip it so it, it holds itself mm. and then once it's like at half peak so it's just holding you add the rest of the sugar in because what it's doing the sugar at the bottom is, is strengthening the albium oh, yeah. okay. and so when we make a meringue like that now it every time turns exactly it comes out exactly the same all the time because you know sometimes if you over whip it yeah it doesn't go that silky smooth yeah um and you always it, it starts to separate yeah with doing that it never does yeah absolutely yeah it's, it's unreal oh, honestly okay. and it's one thing i always hold so basically you have your egg whites in a bowl you add half of the sugar and then mm-hmm. you start whipping it till it comes to like soft peak so yeah you can kind of Put it, is that when you could put it above your head? Uh, point, no, right? just a little bit uh, less yeah, than that. Right. And then you start, you carry on whipping, and then you start adding the rest of the sugar. Yeah. And it goes silky, glossy, smooth. Oh, and then your right. cooking technique is to how you want it. So you want that kind of hard crunch meringue. You leave it in the oven longer. Yeah. Uh, sorry, it, you can kind of leave it in not as long, so it's like soft, um, quite hard on the outside, but like marshmallow yeah. in the middle. Oh, okay. The longer you leave it, and then it starts getting that like pavlova where the sugar starts running out the side, mm. and it goes golden on the top. So that's yeah, your cooking yeah, technique. Yeah. But for me, every time we do that now, it just comes out 100% all the time. Oh, it's exactly that. the same. Yeah, I can't remember last time. We yeah. always do, do Italian do here, so, oh, okay. so different. I haven't done a syrup. normal one yeah. for a long time. And if time, you want it I'm to sure where it gets that. that kind of pavlova, what you do is at the beginning you kind of add that water, the vinegar, the sugar, yeah. whip it up, mm-hmm. and then start adding the other sugar. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's kind yeah. of like, that's my little kind of hidden. Oh, secret. That's I think that's that. really good. Yeah. Will you try that and report back to us? Yeah, so we'll do. Yeah, well, it don't work. Don't tell me. Yeah, no, it should work. That's a little one that I always hold. I love that. College, you are showing just sprinkle, stand there. Yeah, because they say to you, if you add it too fast, that's it. If you add it too fast, or if you add it at the beginning. They say that the it just won't work. Yeah, it won't come yeah, up. Yeah, it won't come up. But yeah, no, the way for me, sound. kind of like I was always taught the other way, and then I found out off this friend that you know it kind of strengthens and gives kind of to the album, and then it holds its volume. So yeah. beautiful, lovely hack. What a great place to end. I just want to thank Gus Bournes once again for providing us with the Pinot Noir tonight. It was lovely. You can order straight from their website at gusborn.com and at Gus Bourne 
uh, on Twitter is their handle and at Gusborne underscore wine on Instagram. Uh, wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks so much for downloading. There's one more episode to come next week. Lisa, thanks so much for taking the time to come and speak with us. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and talking through all the stories. Paul, yeah, no, thank you very much. One more episode to go. I oh, know, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a big one, Matt. Yeah, it will be, yeah. Can't be wait. a good one. They've cool. all been solid this season. Yeah, I love it. Right. Yeah. Thanks so much for the nightcap, Lisa. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks again for downloading The Nightcap, and if you love listening as much as we love doing it, spread the word and help others find it by leaving a rating and review on iTunes via your podcast app. And for the price of a cup of coffee a month, support the pod on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the nightcap. We're giving away signed menus from Paul's Michelin Star restaurant on there, as well as that, we're giving you an exclusive opportunity to come and have a meal at Salt before sitting in on a season three recording. That's patreon.com forward slash the nightcap. You can also listen again to all eight episodes of season one via your podcast app. And for more content and videos, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the nightcap underscore pod. Enjoy.